0: Welcome to Nature Revisited, the podcast. I returned to my waterfall in the woods near my home. The last time I was here, I was introducing Julia Plevin for the episode on forest bathing. While I was here, I started to recall playing in the woods, which started me thinking of Cheryl Charles, the co-founder of the Children and Nature Network, founded in 2006 with the author Richard Love. The Children and Nature Network is an organization that focuses on bringing children and nature together. I was also curious as to what brought Cheryl to start an organization that globally promotes the idea that people who experience the joys of nature in their youth are more likely to appreciate nature and to care for it. So I recently visited Cheryl at her Westminster home.
1: I really was not only raised close to nature, but spent a tremendous amount of time outdoors in nature. And um, not only was I raised with time outdoors, where I simply grew to love the beauty and the intimacy of all of that, with my family, uh, I'm, I'm thinking about, we've got a long family history, actually, of generations of people caring about the land and believing in how important it is for people to live responsibly um, in, in harmony with our natural environment. So one of the big influences on me was my grandfather. And I used to go horseback riding with him a lot. And he, t- he would tend to be in the lead, and I would be in my horse along the way behind him. But then he would also set up, always set up little adventures for me. If there'd be a log in front of us in the woods, he would want me to jump over it, and the horse would do it, and I survived that, and that was fun. But really, just a lot of, of time with family members. My cousins were really important. Our grandparents were important. I was an only child, and the oldest of... 14 grandchildren in the Charles family. And so as the oldest, I was often surrounded by all these younger cousins of mine and we had so much fun and I can't stress enough how much time we spent with our grandparents outdoors. And again, the riding horseback was a big part of that, but just playing. I was raised in the desert southwest of the United States where water is pretty scarce, but I can remember being on horseback with my grandfather and I was like a 16-year-old girl and I came out to one of the ranches where he was one summer, he and my grandmother, and I remember riding with him and we went to the top of a large hill again in, in Arizona as it turns out in a part of that countryside that's covered with Ponderosa pine. And we got to the top of this hill, each of us on our horses, and we had such a big view. And he said, I love coming to places like this because it gives me perspective. It helps me understand, you know, who I am and and where I fit. And he's the first person who taught me the word ecology, how all the parts fit together to make a healthy whole. So I would say that, again, those childhood, those teenage experiences, I'm only sharing some of them. I'm just saying that I would most weekends we were out somewhere. We were camping. We were riding horses. We were going to the lake, whatever we were doing. And there were lots of family stories, and there was a lot of family music, a lot of singing and, uh-huh. you know, things of that kind. And I was always active in student government, so I've always had this drive to try to exercise my civic responsibility. So was a student body officer and, you know, a variety of things like that. And by the time I became then a young adult to get my first job, I had studied to be a teacher. I began my career uh, as a a teacher. And really early, really early, while in my um, early 20s, I was invited to be the national director of an education program that's still available today. It's an interdisciplinary kindergarten through high school program where you incorporate concepts about the environment into every subject and skill area in the K through 12 curriculum. That project was called Project Learning Tree. And as I say, it's still around. It delights me. I haven't been involved in, in decades, literally. And a similar program that I was also asked to be the founding director of is called Project Wild. And we founded that in 1981. We founded Project Learning Tree in 76. So here we are decades later and there's still a terrific resource for teachers kindergarten through high school and even younger and older uh, than that. So, So from the earliest days in my career, I had a commitment to uh, something that lives with me now. I mean, a commitment to children and their health and well-being, to communities and to the environment itself. And they're all interconnected, so that's just how I have pursued my work. And I remember going back to my grandfather and saying, this is so fantastic, I get to combine my, my commitment to education, which really helps people be the people they most want to be, if we can optimize their learning, so my service to people and my commitment to the environment. And those two were put together with this environmental education program for children, kindergarten through high school.
0: So how did um, the Children and Nature Network, how did that sound, kind of evolve?
1: In 2004, I was asked to help put together a national conference in the United States that was really sponsored in part by a lot of the federal natural resource agencies. So think U.S. Forest Service and um, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and others. And the people involved in founding the conference were worried about what was going to happen when the baby boomer generation decided to retire from those roles in natural resource agencies and who was going to take over, who was going to be able to step into those areas of responsibility. So we started the planning for that conference in 2004. In 2005, the journalist and author Richard Louv published Last Child in the Woods, Saving Our Children from Nature Deficit Disorder. I always want to say quickly with that title that Rich coined the phrase nature deficit disorder, and he's the first person to say that's not a medical diagnosis, it's a description of changes in childhood. I read that book of riches which I think was his 7th book Last Child in the Woods and I didn't know him I read it cover to cover and I reached out to him to ask him if he would be a speaker at that conference and he came we held the conference in November of 2005 and while we were there he said Cheryl I think there's a need for a new nonprofit the Children and Nature Network and our only purpose will be to reconnect children with nature or to connect them where they've never been connected. And our mission will be really worldwide because children throughout the world are disconnected from nature in many ways. I I also enjoy saying, you know, many of us have worried about changes in childhood for a very long time and, and people did long before I was born. But what's unique about what Richard Louv did with Last Child in the Woods is really give voice to the important message about how childhood has changed and how we need for children's health and well being again, that of families, of whole communities, and the environment to reconnect us all. The vision of the Children in Nature Network is a world in which all children live, play, learn, and grow with nature in their everyday lives. So it's a big view, you know, uh, all children, all children throughout the world. The ways we do that are, first of all, we have pulled together uh, the best of the best of the evidence. Uh, We really do think it's incredibly important for people not only to be acting on our intuition, our common sense, but where it's helpful, especially if people are skeptical. You know, what are the indicators of the disconnect? Children's obesity, lack of walking to school these days, uh, things of that kind. Um, But what are the benefits? And it's so exciting, actually. One of the first things we did was set up what has become a research library. And now there are more than 900 peer-reviewed studies summarized on our website, and they're all categorized by topic. So people can go in, and they do it all the time, and do a search, and they can end up with a handful or dozens and dozens of meaningful studies that help them really tell the story. Um, They can do that. Because now, now actually, in the last 20 years, I've been really struck by the increased rigor and quality, as well as quantity, of the studies that are there to support the benefits to children. And let me say quickly, the benefits to children from meaningful experiences with nature on a regular basis are increased intellectual development, cognitive development, physical, they're more physically active, therefore they tend to be more healthy. Uh, they're more collaborative, more cooperative, because when you're working outdoors and playing outdoors, there's a lot of negotiation going on, a lot of kind of making up rules and following rules that the kids themselves uh, invent, that children tend to be happier, healthier, and smarter. They do better in school. They do better in their human relationships when uh, nature-based experiences are a part of their everyday lives. Um, There are a number of initiatives through the Children in Nature Network that are helping to bring that vision to life. Uh, Two examples of those are our work with cities so that cities throughout the United States, this is not around the world, but around throughout the United States, there are now 18 cities that have been part of a process to apply to be essentially model or pilot cities where they um, really innovate to make nature-based places and spaces more accessible, especially to children who wouldn't otherwise have those opportunities. So our cities' work is a big deal, a lot going on there. There's a health-related initiative that um, many individual pediatricians and general practitioners uh, are stepping up to help with. Many um, physicians are beginning to literally prescribe time in nature for their clients, their patients, from the earliest childhood uh, pediatrician care to those for adults. I looked at one recent study, for example, where... Elderly people with Alzheimer's, if they were in um, a a facility of some kind and that facility had access to natural, outdoor places, those people with that condition tended to be less aggressive. They were just more peaceful. So the health-related benefits are accumulating as well. Another big initiative through the Children in Nature Network is work to green schoolyards. Lots and lots of schoolyards, in fact, the majority still, unfortunately, have too much asphalt and not, you know, lovely, environmentally conscious, nature-based places where kids can learn and grow. So that's work underway uh, as well. The, the, the main thing we do, though, the Children in Nature Network doesn't really run programs, but we have a robust website. Uh, ChildrenandNature.org. We have printed resources. We have we provide technical support, and we have these kind of banner initiatives that people can look to and learn from.
0: What are some of the you might consider some of the really success stories, a result of your organization?
1: You know, I think um, as a direct result of the organization, I think I know more about individual people who have said their lives have changed through some kind of experience that they've had that the network helped to make possible. I think another indicator is the actual growth and visibility of the children and nature movement worldwide. And you see in that can be attributed in part to the work of the children and nature network Um, because of our public speaking, our publications, our annual conferences or gatherings. Uh, All of those things help to accumulate. And one of the ways that I see it, actually one example is this increase in um, actual rigorous research that helps to support the importance of what we're doing and what we're talking about. Another is you see a lot more in in the public press. Just in the month of May of 2019, the cover issue of Outside Magazine was all about nature for your health, that it's free, get outdoors. So Mm -hmm. the cover issue of Outside Magazine. And in that story, the cover story, there were references to the Children in Nature Network and to some of the physicians that are prescribing nature because it's good for people's, again, health and well-being. And the cover of Sierra Clubs Magazine in May is a lead article by Richard Louvre, and it's all about the human right to nature, to healthy environments. I just returned from the Children and Nature Network's uh, international conference. It was held in Oakland, and there were about 800 participants from 15 nations uh, in attendance, and for the last many years since we founded the organization in 2006, there have always been people from other parts of the world who have come uh, to the conference sharing stories, sharing commonalities, sharing, you know, this Uh, desire to kind of rewrite the balance in children's lives so they're not indoors so much, they're not hooked into the electronic media so much, so that they have a healthier balance in their lives where, you know, getting outdoors, playing, running, climbing, exploring, all of those things are just a part of their birthright um, as children. Where is it going? I think the organization will always have um, a commitment to uh, improving children's lives and, and the in the equity piece all children i think that will continue to strengthen i've seen that part of the commitment grow even in the last few years the the notion of really trying to make it actually happen for children who do not live in circumstances where they have easy access to have that change so that they really can have uh, healthy environments where they play and learn and grow um, readily available to them i think um, i would love to see this all be so successful that we don't even need an organization like that anymore, you know, because it's just a way of life again, that cities are abundantly um, diverse with diverse wildlife and plant life, and they're walkable, and that people enjoy them. And you see families and others, you know, outdoors feeling safe, because safety in the outdoors is an important part of that. And, and And in urban environments, we're not talking about people having to get off to the wilderness. That's inspiring for some. Uh, At the same time, what will make the most meaningful difference for people in their everyday lives is where we live, in our neighborhoods, where we work, where we walk, that kind of thing. And I think all of that vision is within reach. Uh, And I, you know, just having come back from this conference, the commitment is as deep as ever.
0: So you're optimistic?
1: I am optimistic about it. And I think, I think it's a slow path, but in some ways I think it's taking root uh, faster than it might have. I think um, maybe the new media help us, uh, social media and others help us bring attention to what's missing for children and why it's so important for all of us, not just children. Uh, to have um, beautiful and natural environments within our everyday lives. Internationally, we're doing something right now that I think is important. We have partnered with the International Union for the Conservation of Nature. That's an old organization founded in 1948. I know there are more than 200 nations that are a part of it and thousands of non-governmental organizations and then many, many individuals, thousands of individuals are members of it. The IUCN, as it's called, uh, launched a campaign called Hashtag Nature for All a couple of years ago. And the Children in Nature Network has been a supporter and a collaborator of that campaign since the beginning. And just a few months ago, um, the Children in Nature Network, all of the Nature for All partners, and IUCN pulled together a synthesis of the research to really, for the first time, make it even more clear what is it that has people tend to take action to benefit the environment. So again, not only is connection with nature good for individual peoples and whole communities' health and well-being. But when we fall in love with nature, want to take care of it, we tend to translate that into action throughout our lives. So we produced this a new publication. It's called Home to Us All, How Connecting with Nature Helps Us Care for Ourselves and the Earth. And it's being used right now uh, in policy deliberations of nations throughout the world, including the United Nations Convention on Biological Diversity. so i I remain optimistic, especially as we look at people at every level, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, you know within our families and communities, but also, Globally at the policy level when people try to implement and work to implement changes in city zoning commitments to um, You know to the health field to the education field all of which can translate into uh, healthier environments for people One of the things I worry about right now is I I worry about a lot of things Uh, even though I stay optimistic. I worry about a lot of things but one of those is how we're so so many people literally are so recklessly exploiting the environment, extracting resources um, at a at a rate that's that can't go on. I mean, and how we're even we're still continuing to pollute water and air and land and in extraordinary ways. Uh, so one. One of the ways I think we can shift what is that current pattern uh, among people throughout the world is actually to have people once again kind of awaken to the beauty and the fundamental wonder of all of that living world that supports us all. And, And you can't do that vicariously. Well, maybe you can do a little bit of an extent, because I know some people have seen films, maybe long ago, Jacques Cousteau inspired many, many people, um, David Attenborough's work and others. Some people can be inspired enough by a film or even by a book. But for most of us, it really takes being outdoors and having uh and and extraordinary, or even just a a simple experience, but was so filled with wonder that it touches us. It touches our heart. And so what I'm looking for is ways to have people throughout the world literally re-engage with nature because we really must let the earth rest and refresh in places where it's being harmed. And those of us who live in areas that are still lovely. We need to keep doing everything we can to make sure they stay that way. So conservation efforts matter, water quality, you know, caring for the soil, uh, all kinds of things that are within the, the reach of each and every one of us. We can all garden, even if it's in a very small way. And just by doing that, that simple act of connecting with growing flowers or food, whatever that might be that we choose to, that will help shift the consciousness. That will help us all you know, really, not take for granted what really can't be taken for granted the even though the Earth and all of its living systems are resilient, uh they can't all take the kind of abuse um, that that it the earth itself is experiencing right now, so in the face of that, I worry about it deeply, and I'm optimistic. I believe that uh, many of us and enough of us throughout the world uh can help shift the balance so that we can have a healthy environment for generations to come.
0: I hope you enjoyed this edition of Nature Revisited. You can learn more about the important work that Cheryl and the Children and Nature Network are doing by visiting their website, childrenandnature.org. Cheryl was also in my film, Negotiating with Nature, which you can watch on my website, NordenProductions.com That's Norden N O O R D E N Productions.com As always, if you enjoyed this episode, please share with friends and family. And do follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And remember, we are nature.